Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So here we are. Second full day of practice. A very interesting period in the retreat. I have to uh, acknowledge the people who I saw in the uh, the group interviews today, who all hadn't done a retreat before, a ten day retreat anyway, and um, you still seemed like you were hanging in there and uh, and willing to do it and just uh, follow the the program, and uh, that's admirable, especially on the second day. <clears throat> Are we having fun yet? (laughs) (laughs) I remember the first few retreats I did. I recall this in one of the groups today. Just thinking, I'll never last. This is is crazy. Why would anybody put themselves through it? On my first three-month retreat, after about four days, I was... Counting the days left, 82 days, 15 hours, and 20 minutes, I'll never make it. Fortunately, things do change, and, um, and you're having a taste of really the most challenging, or one of the most challenging uh, aspects of any retreat, whether it's a, a week, or two weeks, or three months, this settling in period. And it's often bound to bring up a lot of reactions, resistance, and aversion, doubt, or frustration, along with some moments of saying, wow, this is really far out. Maybe you've had one or two of those interspersed just to keep you going. And it's natural that that should be the way At the beginning of a retreat, I know many people are here for the first time, so I I want to uh, just for a moment um, discuss a little bit about the difficulties and then talk about an attitude that really deepens the whole practice. You're coming here and there's often a lot of lower energy as you start a retreat. We're used to operating on outside stimulation. You come here and there's not much entertainment going on. This is it. This and lunch is it for the day, you know, the the talk. And so there's a, a tendency in our systems to just say, oh, well, not much fun. This is time to space out or time to go to sleep. It takes a little while to get in touch with our own natural energy, which actually develops and strengthens very, uh, very powerfully often as the days go on. With that low energy, there's a rawness and a sensitivity to what we're encountering. You know how you are in your daily life when you're kind of raw. Things get to you in a way that perhaps they don't when you've got a lot of vitality. What you're noticing here, what you're being asked to notice, is what's happening here in the present moment as you try to pay attention to your breath. It's the instructions so far have been given. 
what you do see besides the breath, if you happen to catch one or two breaths in there, besides that, probably a lot of aches and pains in, in the body, um, a lot of wandering in the mind. It's a very humbling experience, isn't it? Or you, you find yourself in uh, a lot of sleepiness or restlessness or perhaps some, uh, some feelings and emotions that have been underneath and, and now have a chance to come out. So when you're told to pay attention, what you're paying attention to isn't a particularly fun show. So it's that much more difficult. On top of that, as you come into this situation, into a new environment with people who you've never met before sleeping right near you, and being told how to sit, sit still, walk for this long a time in this way, and eat in this way, a whole lot of structure. It would be unusual if there wasn't just a slight touch of resistance in there. So this first period, this settling in period, which as has been mentioned usually lasts for a few days, two or three or maybe four days. Um, There's no getting around it. I've tried to figure out how to start a retreat on the fourth day for many years and just, you know, haven't figured that one out. And it's so, if you've been doing it for 20 years as well as this is being your first one, the easier thing that happens as you've been doing it more and more is that you know that that's a natural part of the process. And so you don't have that much doubt about where this is leading to. Each part of the retreat has its own lessons. Every day, every moment can have its lessons. But each um, section of the retreat generally has certain lessons that are very common for most people. The main lesson that I think that the settling in part has is developing a kind of space and kindness and allowance for whatever you're going through to be the way it is. Often, um, it's easier to give space to lovely, sweet experiences. And this is a bit more of a challenge. Can we let this moment be just as it is? And what I want to talk about tonight is this quality of okayness. It's okay. Sometimes you might think, oh, I shouldn't be judging what's happening now. I should just go with the program and here's a judging thought about how much I'm wandering or uh, I'm not letting it be okay and there's frustration and there's all these these responses, reactions. If we don't understand the situation, then we get very confused and we fight ourselves for having those judgments. If we do understand the situation, including our responses to it, then we can move through it or 
another way of thinking, it can move through us, whatever is happening. We can process it and integrate it, learn and grow from it. We see that whatever is happening is impermanent as well, whether it's fear or grief or joy or whatever is happening. But if we struggle with it, if we fight, if we wonder and struggle with why is this happening or how can I deal with this now, how can I get rid of this, then we add on top of the initial difficulty a layer of aversion and contraction and a non-acceptance and this leads to confusion and more suffering. So more important than what is happening in any particular sitting or moment is our relationship to what's happening. This is what the gift of the practice can show to us, especially these first few days. It's okay. This, by the way, is the one mantra that I have been given in Vipassana practice. You might try it. If you like mantra meditation, it's okay. It's okay. Just remind yourself that when you're trying to figure out what's going on. What does that mean, though, it's okay? Does that mean that you should pretend that it's really wonderful? Oh, it's not that bad. It's okay. (laughs) Bull. Or does it mean that you should just deny that it's happening? Or that you should force yourself to like it? Oh, this is good for me. What does that mean? It's okay. It's so profound an attitude, but we have to, I think, understand it to use it correctly. It doesn't mean to like your experience when your shoulder is hurting you or your mind is wandering or you've got some deep, um, painful feelings inside. But rather... The okayness can come from how we hold our experience, how we can frame it. If we can see this moment as part of a bigger picture in the context of something much larger than just this situation, that helps a lot. You know how you frame an experience in your life. You know, if, if some, some really hard situation comes and you see perhaps there's some lessons here for you, there's so much more of a, a possibility of being willing to be here for it than when you panic and say, oh no, not this, anything but this. <coughs> How we can frame our experience is really the key to our relationship to it. And the bigger picture is really essential. For me, uh, the earliest uh, Dharma uh, seeds that I can recall in in my life were as a child um, being enthralled by astronomy. I just loved astronomy. I I mainly learned to read with Astronomy and baseball books—you know—that was it. I just kind of devoured them, and I would drag my parents to the 
the Hayden Planetarium in New York City. We didn't have many stars in New York, but I'd, I'd look and just say, wow. And I'd read all these numbers of the vast galaxies. I think Jack even mentioned it last night a bit. Just thinking, the billions and billions of galaxies, let alone the billions of stars in this one, and the billions of people on this planet, that gave me a little bit of space around my drama. And perhaps you've had that experience. And I would bet probably everybody here has looking up under a full sky at night. And somehow your, your story diminishes a little bit in, in importance and, um, and severity. That's one idea of holding this bigger picture that allows things to be here, that lets you for a moment open up to okayness. The Buddha gave many images of the vastness of our journey uh, that perhaps uh, can give you some perspective on what you're going through now talking about the, the highest mountain that there is compared to the bones of each of our incarnations, smaller than the stack of, our, of the bones, of all the, the, the births that we've taken, or the, the oceans not having as much water and moisture as all the tears that we've shed through our countless lifetimes. It gives you some kind of perspective on your knee pain this afternoon. It's hard. On the second night, I don't expect many jokes to be, be laughed at me, so I kind of... Not that I'm here as a stand-up comic, but uh, sit down, comic. Sit up, comic. This is uh, something from uh, Tibetan Lama saying, Let the game happen on its own, springing up and falling back without changing anything, and all will vanish and reappear without end. Just the vastness of existence that we don't have to um, control or have the illusion that we control much. It's all happening on its own, appearing and reappearing without end, completely out of our control. We're not running the show. And when you see your situation in that bigger space, that big picture, there's more of a willingness to open up to what's happening right now. It's so hard to tell what is happening to you or what lessons you're getting from what's happening to you while you're in the middle of the process. This is something that you learn over and over again as you do retreats. You know, just when you think nothing's happening is when you realize that the seeds have been planted for something very, very deep or profound. And then when you think, wow, this is it, this is far out, it changes and you say, what was that all about anyway? So our task is just to be here for the process and have as much of an intention as we can 
to do that and let the process do the rest. Because there's something that happens when you have a willingness to be present for life. It reveals itself. The first step, though, is having some okayness where you're not battling or contracting against it. And the paradox is that the more we can open up to it and open up especially to those things that frighten us, that we're a little bit cautious to to look at, and the less we struggle and more bring a quality of okayness, the more we can open up to all the joy and all the beauty and all the love that's in there too. It's just the way it works. Because you're not energizing that contracted response when you bring an openness to your experience. If you contract out of fear of touching the, the challenging stuff, then you're also keeping in all the stuff that you're wanting to contact, like love and joy and compassion and wisdom and clarity and calm. You can't selectively pull those things out. It really means opening up to the whole show. Generally, the first things that come out at the beginning of a retreat are those difficulties. And what's in store for you is something much deeper than all of these. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I was with somebody, uh, a very close friend, who was talking about, uh, about her life and um, and that she it was a particularly stressful time, she said. She said, I've just been under a lot of stress lately. Somebody uh, is dying. Um, there's some worries around the uh, family situation. Um, and her her child was going through uh, through some some phase that was a challenge to deal with. And she went on and on talking about how this is a, a stressful time. And then as we were talking a bit more, we were talking about, well, when is it not a stressful time? When are those things not happening? When is somebody that you know not sick? Or when is there, uh, there a, a freedom from difficulties with all the people that you know? Or when, as in our often busy life, is there a time where you just let yourself relax other than an enforced vacation? You know, especially if you're somebody who likes to accomplish a lot or cross off stuff at your list on your list. When do you ever get to the bottom of your list? And we both agreed that, oh, what we're talking about is called life. That life can be stressful. That there's always stuff to come to terms with, whether it's disease or death or change. And this quality of okayness is learning to, to dance with our life. It's interesting, Jack, uh, when last night did that, uh, that mudra with Swami Satchitananda, um, where he, he uh, gave the advertisement I, I wanted to, uh, to share with you, and I will share with you, uh, the similar image that has stayed with me 
I, I pulled this out a couple of weeks ago when I was talking to a group up in Berkeley um, from Be Here Now, which was my initial Dharma connection. And I used to carry it around like a Bible. So I haven't picked it up in a long time, but every page is kind of indelible in my, in my mind. There's this, this one section with a surfer, a kind of Shiva, a modern-day hippie surfer. I'll just read this part to you. Surfing. Either you do it like it's a big weight on you, or you do it as part of the dance. And this is the, the phrase that has stayed with me for about 25 years ago. Uh, first saying, singing and dancing and insurance and savings accounts and job and responsibility. Shiva's dance of life. Do you do it from unk? Or do you do it from ah? Do you surf through it all or do you carry it around like a load? That line, do you do it from unk or do you do it from ah, has been one that's a very profound one for me. How do we approach our situation? Is it a weight? Is it ah, the next obstacle? to get through or is there a possibility of of moving through it of dancing with it and seeing ah what's here now is there a possibility where we don't add an extra kind of heaviness or drama so that it becomes that much more of a profound experience that was really heavy you know, I, I remember going through college and sitting around in the cafeteria with my, with my uh, buddies thinking about how screwed up we were, you know, and how the existential angst of being really messed up, yeah, aren't we far out? You know? <laughs> Just like we can squeeze the melodrama out of a situation and say, wow, this is really heavy. Have you gone through this day from unk or from ah. It's not easy to dance so much if it's new to you on the second day, but you get better and better at it. It's really possible. How can we practice this quality of okayness, which really, in the formal Buddhist teachings, is talked of as equanimity, as a kind of openness to all experience. One of the factors of enlightenment. There are some attitudes to keep in mind. How's this doing? There were some atti- there's some attitudes to keep in mind that I find particularly helpful at the beginning of retreat. And then as they develop to carry on through the retreat. One is an attitude of forgiveness to what's happening. You've got ample opportunity to practice forgiveness. As one teacher uh, has called this meditation practice, it's one insult after another. (laughs) There you are. You see your mind do its thing. Oh my goodness, I can't believe that. Or your body that's not cooperating Um, or you're not as impeccable as the people around you, or you're not walking as slowly, or you're 
you're acting from a stance of image, loads of opportunity to practice forgiveness. And it starts with yourself. If you want to be able to truly be compassionate and forgiving of others, this is the place to start. I was mentioning in one of the groups today, the Buddha saying, in this fathom-long body, the whole of the universe, the whole of the Dharma is revealed. That this is your laboratory, your field of investigation to start to understand the principles of life and what it means to be alive, what it means to be human, what it means to be in any form. How have you been with your mind when it's wandered, when you realize that it's gone off? Has there been a a kindness to it? Has there been a way that you can say, Oh, okay, come on back, like the puppy dog image that that Jack mentioned. Have you been angry with it? Darn it, there you are, wandering again. That does not do anything to enhance the process when you have that response. Forgiveness means seeing that this is just part of who we are, not taking it personally and seeing, ah, okay, come on back here. I'm doing the best I can. How are you with your body when it starts to hurt you? With your shoulder pain or your knee pain? Do you get angry at it? Do you say, darn it, if only you were cooperating, then I'd be able to do this meditation. I'd really make some progress, whatever that means. But here you are in the way. That's not what it needs. That shoulder is doing the best it can and has stashed a lot of a lot of tension for you in the process of trying to support you. And here it is needing a little bit of kindness, a little bit of love, a little bit of forgiveness. Okay. Notice how you respond to your own system in your body and your mind. When you see yourself judging, oh, darn it, there I am thinking. Oh, I'm judging. Oh, that's another judgment. It's never too late to just take one step back and be kind with the judging. To not judge the judging. doesn't matter how deep you've gotten enmeshed in it. In one moment of forgiveness... There it is, the whole thing dissolves. This is a tremendous help to developing an okayness with the moment. And it's never too late. It's never too late for forgiveness. Sometimes you might come up with things that have happened in your past because when you're not distracting yourself, lots of times old memories come up and you say, oh no, I can't believe I did that. Or, oh no, how could... How could I go on having done that? It's never too late because we grow and we change. There's one story that I like from the Buddha's uh, teaching about this monk named Angulimala, who perhaps some of you have heard about. Angulimala was this guy who got caught up in some black magic and... uh, and a, a teacher who 
who turned against him and gave him the assignment of killing a thousand people. And then he, was, he would be proving his devotion. And so Angulimala, which uh, Angulimala means a mala is a garland, a necklace, and the necklace was of the fingers of all of his victims. And he had killed 999 of them when he met the Buddha. And the power of encountering the Buddha was so profound, the Buddha said, well, showed him the truth and said, when will you stop? And he put aside his task and joined the order and became fully enlightened. It's never too late. Never too late. If it's not too late for him, it's not too late for you. So, that's one quality, forgiveness. I'm learning. Another one is loving kindness. The metta that you just did the last sitting and that you can incorporate into your practice. And if you have difficulty developing metta for yourself initially, you might think of somebody who you have a lot of warm feelings, who maybe has some, some faith in you or who sees your beauty even when you can't and send some loving kindness to them or feel it back from them. That is a tremendously powerful opening of the heart when you bring a little bit of metta. It's hard to stay contracted when you're feeling loving. You might also have metta for those places, those aches in your body or that, that pain in your heart or that wandering mind. Metta doesn't necessarily mean to love it. It simply can mean being friendly with it. This is from uh, Ajahn Sumedho, who's a wonderful teacher. He says, Sometimes there are things one doesn't like about oneself, but metta means not being caught up in the thoughts we have, the attitudes, the problems, the thoughts and feelings of the mind. So it becomes an immediate practice of being very mindful. To be mindful means to have metta towards the fear in your mind or the anger or the jealousy. Metta means not creating problems around existing conditions, allowing them to fade away, to cease on their own. So if you're angry with them, it just locks them in. So you can have metta for a person, for yourself, or for those different parts of yourself that, uh, that need some love. And along with metta, the quality of compassion or karuna. That is, seeing the suffering with an open heart. Giving space for it. Being kind with it. Being patient with it. Not the patience that's waiting for it to go, but that can give it space to just work itself out. Being understanding. Patience is very, very helpful in this quality of okayness. 
The patience is one of spaciousness and ease. Another quality that allows this okayness is having a sense of humor about what you're doing. On the one hand, this is a very profound practice and process. And here we are spending 10 days or 20 days for for some people being attentive and impeccable and opening up to the deepest parts of who we are. That's quite a rare thing to do. And on the other hand, it's really weird, isn't it? It's really strange seeing all these people going around slow motion like zombies. It's really amazing to see how the mind does its thing and gets caught again and again. Oh, I'm still playing that one out. Isn't it amazing? If you can keep your sense of humor about it, then you don't have to take it so seriously. You know, just in one moment of bringing some humor to a situation. You know, sometimes, perhaps in your life, when the only thing you can do is either scream or laugh at the absurdity of it all. And if you choose the laughter side, how the whole heaviness just starts to evaporate. You can get serious in this practice if you don't remember to keep some lightness. Uh, I've told this story before, but since there's a lot of people, I'll share it again. On one retreat, one, one of these longer retreats, three-month retreat, I had this uh, song playing in my mind. I often have a jukebox going on. And sometimes the songs are very uplifting and sometimes they're kind of depressing or obnoxious. This was a song from Bob Dylan's most depressing period (laughs) of his life. I was a big Bob Dylan fan and unfortunately the karma uh, bore fruit later on. At least for this, I got a lot from Bob Dylan, I have to say, but uh, this song I could have left with, lived without. And this song, if you know Bob Dylan, uh, is uh, Visions of Johanna, and it just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And the, what kept on going on, a lot of times the songs have a correspondence to your situation. The, the words are... Ain't it just like the night to play tricks when we're trying to be so quiet? We're sitting here stranded, though we're all doing our best to deny it. (laughs) On and on and on. For one solid week. This, this This is true. I remember it very well. And I was getting tighter and tighter and more grim and just I thought I was going to just lose it. After one week, magically, the needle skipped to the second verse. (laughs) And the, the lesson in it was the second verse starts out, oh, little boy lost. He takes himself so seriously. And it was like the sky opened up. That's what's happening. Wow. 
wow, really taking myself seriously. And I decided to just lighten up and have some fun. Go for a walk and enjoy the walk and not be so on top of each moment. There was such a release and a freedom that it was worth the week to just see the power of letting go of the seriousness, to just get a little bit of lightness. That's why sitting with a half smile has been suggested is such a good practice. It's really hard to stay grim and tight when you've got a soft smile on your face. Just try it. Sometimes I'll have an argument with myself. You know, you said you'd smile. Yeah, but I don't feel like smiling. Yeah, but you say, all right, I'll get it over with. And I'll just kind of curl my lips up and I'll feel so dumb you know, that the whole thing lightens up. Not that you want to pretend or, or fake or dismiss the heaviness that's going on. It's just that slight upcurling of the lips gives you a little bit of space to meet it with with some, some greater uh, depth and understanding and ease. Or going for a walk after you've been feeling a bit confined or claustrophobic might be quite the appropriate way to do walking meditation. You know, One good walk out into the desert. The desert is so vast and spacious. It can take all your tears. It can take all your pain. And just to open up is very, very wonderful. So if you're feeling yourself getting a little bit, of, little bit of tightness, lighten up. That's the clue. Don't lighten up so much that you're just kind of, you know, lolling around for the next ten days, but just enough so that you can come back with real intention. So a, a, an art of practice is finding the balance of how how much effort to put into this moment. If you're feeling a bit tight, relax, soften, lighten up. If you're feeling really lazy and sloppy and sluggish and, and, and maybe you've, you've been kind of spacing out for the last few hours or days, or whatever, okay, time to recommit to yourself. What are you doing here? So, forgiveness and loving-kindness and patience and humor. One other attitude that's very helpful in this okayness, which I'll, I'll touch on tonight and I think perhaps talk a bit more later on in the retreat, is that of curiosity, of bringing an interest to your experience. When you have a deep fear. Instead of running away, what is it that I'm afraid of? What is this fear? What does it feel like? Not trying to get an answer intellectually in your mind, but just to explore the nature of fear. Explore death. Okay, I think I'm going to die. Okay, let's check that out. What does it mean? What does dying into the next moment mean? Because when we're interested in our experience, when we have a curiosity about it, you can't have a contraction, an aversion at the same time that you're exploring. 
It's just not possible. And it takes a a shift of attitude to be interested, to be curious, to explore, whether it's a pain in your body or uh, a pain in your heart. It doesn't mean that you've got to hang in there with it and and come to the end of of understanding what this pain is about. But just for a, a few moments at a time, Sometimes I tell people if they've got a strong body sensation, a really hard one, to just make a little contract with yourself. Okay, for the next minute, let me feel this fully. Not the next 45, just for the next minute. Just so you realize there's a capacity to have that shift of attitude that's willing to explore. And as that happens, little by little, there's more of... um, a willingness each time. You see that it's, it's not as overwhelming as you thought. And as you start to bring a curiosity to your experience, at first, you might have to act as if it's okay to explore. But after a while, little by little, maybe the hundredth time or the thousandth time, it becomes genuinely okay. Oh, this one. I know this one. I can be with this. And as you get more adept at touching the things that that are generally hard for us to come near, there's a kind of confidence that you've been with it, that you've been able to handle it. There's a kind of faith and trust that grows out of that. Just each of those encounters with the challenges And it becomes okay. You don't have to pretend that the moment is okay. It starts to reveal the truth as you explore and investigate to show that the moment truly is okay. To show how things change. If you stay there with your restlessness or your fear and you really start to look at it, you see it has an an ephemeral quality as well. The cold, somebody brought that up today, and it's been cold, it's been difficult. Okay, here it is, cold. I've got a choice to either wish it weren't cold and spend the day that way, or just work with it. And here's cold, done everything I can do, and yes, it's cold. This is an unpleasant moment, and here I am. It all changes, so what's the big deal? whether it's cold or mind states or pain. And as we investigate, we see that the more we struggle against what's happening, the more we wish it weren't here, the more we're fighting it, the more contraction and suffering we bring on ourselves, wanting things to be different than the way they are. That's a very important lesson. When there's a struggle there's some clue that you're contracted against the experience or you wish things were different than the way they are. Now, of course, if you can change the circumstances and, and lessen uh, the pain, okay, fine. But when you've done what you can and there's nothing else that you can do about it and it's still here, the extra struggle doesn't add in a positive way to the situation. 
And the investigation also shows that you don't have to blame yourself for, for the conditions. It's all happening on its own. The cold, the sensations in the body, the mind states, they're all just unfolding on their own. And it's your job to simply wake up to it, to have what we talked about in the first night, refuge in the Dharma. This is something here that I'm being given to wake up to. How can I relate to this with skill, with wisdom, with compassion? Not, how can I fix it so I don't have to experience this? But where is my growth right here, right now? Otherwise, you're fighting each moment of your situation, saying, oh, not this, and not this, and not this. Once remember uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, who's eminently uh, quotable, saying, if there's a conflict between you and the Dharma, chances are the problem doesn't lie with the Dharma. (laughs) We create our conflict. We bring our own struggle to the situation. It is what it is. And equanimity or okayness is finding a balance in the midst of any circumstance. Finding a spaciousness, finding a bigger picture that you can hold what's happening right now. Seeing the changing nature of this situation in a much larger context. It's okay, it really is. This moment is just what it is. And we can bring that spirit of balance and equanimity and courage to open up to it. We can develop that in ourselves. And then the wisdom and the compassion follow. So, um, you can take some time if anybody has any questions or things that you want to bring up either from the day or the talk. How do you find the balance point between accepting circumstances and doing as much as you can to improve are you talking about on the retreat or? No, no, the comment you just made. Excuse me? The comment you made during the talk. The balance between accepting things as they are and doing what I can to improve them. Um, I generally do what I can to improve them. And when I can't improve them, I accept them. It's like that, you know, St. Francis prayer, grant me the the courage to change the the things that I can and the serenity to accept the things I can't and the wisdom to know the difference in that one. It's not like we're trying to to be uh, masochistic in our lives. You know, I I enjoy music and and good company and 
a good meal and uh, and comfort. Okay. And if I'm obsessed by it, that's not that's not so healthy. But if I'm in a difficult situation, I'll do what I can to improve it. And if I've done everything I can, okay, so now how can I work with it as it is? Is that, did you have anything else in mind? Nice answer. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is... I don't know if you're expecting some, some other secret formula, but... A lot of this is just common sense, as I see it. You know, it's, it's, um, I see a lot of the practice is just going inside and listening to what makes sense to us in our heart. Okay? And if it's coming from a place of jaggedness or contraction or confusion, uh, then I try not to listen to that message. If it's coming from a place of of ease and connection and, and support, then that's what I listen to. So a lot of it I see is just opening up to the common sense and wisdom that, that we all have. Um, if, if one has some sort of a pain or aversion to, to any to some given thing one day and the next day it isn't there, does that ipso facto mean that while it was there you were successfully And your question is, was it luck or did you do the right thing? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but chances are, if, you, if you're aversive to it, that does not speed the process up. All that does is lock in the energy. Then you're fighting this battle with something out there. If you're curious, then generally the attitude will at least create the possibility for it to go in its own time. But even if you hated it every moment and you were locking it in, sooner or later it's going to change. You fall asleep and you forgot that you were hating it so much and you wake up the next day and it's gone. You say, oh, that was lucky or I did the right thing or whatever. But one other thing I would really suggest is to try as little, to try as, as how can I word this? To try not to figure out your experience or not try to figure out your experience. That's better wording. As soon as you try to figure out why something happened, when you bring in the question why, it'll spin you out for the next few hours. Or what did I do? Or how? Nobody can know. It's just this lawful unfolding that's really beyond our comprehension. Eat light to deepen your practice. Yeah. It's a good line. <laughs> <laughs> So 
Is that what they mean by enlightenment? (laughs) 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 The second day. Um, Well, often if you're if you if you're very if you eat a lot uh, or overeat, uh, you get very sluggish. It's it's a lot harder to stay alert, and um, there is a kind of Ease that comes with the lightness, but you don't want to be hungering yourself. So eat as much as you, your body needs. It's, it's the middle, the middle way. We don't want people to go hungry here. A lot of times on the first day of a retreat or the first couple of days, though, the the one source of emotional nourishment, as well as physical nourishment, is food, and so you know, people people have a tendency to to really want to take it in. Um, and you might find as you as the days go on and you simplify your process that you don't need quite so much. You know, listen to your stomach instead of your, uh, your mind state. Um, or if you're hearing your mind state, listen to it carefully because you can learn a lot by it. But if you're hungry, then, then eat. Okay. Uh, let's take a few moments to, to sit. We can just let go of all the words. Then. <coughs> and as you're sitting here, just for this next minute or two, see if you can bring a genuine attitude of okayness with the moment. Whatever is happening is fine. Just allow yourself to rest in it. struggling or straining to make anything happen, just allowing this moment as it is.
Okay, so there's um, about 35 minutes for a walking period. And as you go out into the evening, enjoy your walking. Let it just be as it is. Open up to it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.